Chapter 29 of The Later Life by Louis Couperus. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Constance remained alone the whole evening. She had opened both her bedroom windows wide, and she looked out over the road into the sultry night. She had undressed and put on a white wrapper, and she remained sitting in the dark room at the open window. For a moment she thought that van der Velke would come to her to tell her his decision, but he did not come. He seemed to be staying with Addy in the dining-room. Then she heard him go to his own room. In the silence, in the still, sultry darkness, which seemed to enter the room almost heavily, her restlessness, the doubt which she had felt rising in herself during those few words with Addy, melted away. Sitting at the open window, she let herself be borne along by the silent, insidious magic of the late summer hour, as though something stronger than herself were overpowering her and compelling her to surrender herself, without further thinking or doubting, to a host of almost disquieting raptures which came crowding in upon her. Above the darkling masses of the woods hung the sullen menace of heavy rain, and, just once or twice, there was a gleam of lightning yonder, in the direction of the sea, which she divined in the distance, flashing with sudden illuminations, with noiseless reflections, and then vanishing in the low-hanging clouds of the night. She lay back in her chair, at first oppressed by her doubts and by the heat, but gradually, gradually, her eyes fixed on the electric gleams far in the distance, all her doubts melted away. The enchantment penetrated yet deeper, and the storm-charged sultriness seemed a languorous ecstasy in which her breast heaved gently, her lips opened, and her eyes closed, only to open again wider than before and stare at the lightning that flashed and vanished, flashed and vanished, with intervals full of mystery. No, she doubted no longer. All would be well, all would be well. She could not make a mistake in this new life, this later life, this mature life, which she had lived, so to speak, in a few months, giving herself up entirely to sincerity and honesty, and to the crowning love, the only really true and lofty love. Her love, that late love, had been her life, right from those girlish dreams of a few months past, down to the moment of inward avowal and what in another woman would have lasted years, in the slow falling of the days, which, like beads on a long string, fell one by one through the fingers of silent fate, the unrelenting teller of the beads, she had lived in a few months. After her dreaming had come her thinking, after her thinking, her wish to know, after her wish to know, her plunge into books and nature, until dreaming, thinking, knowledge, and above all, love supreme and triumphant, had mingled to form a new existence, and she had been reborn, as it were, out of herself. She had dreamed and thought and questioned it all hastily and feverishly, as though afraid of being late, of feeling her senses numbed, her soul withered by the grey years, before she had lived, before she had lived. Hastily, but in all sincerity, and her late awakening had been deep and intense, a mystery to herself, and an impenetrable secret to all. 
for no one knew that she dreamed and thought and questioned knowledge and nature. No one knew that nowadays she looked on a tree, a cloud, a book, a picture with different eyes than in the past, when she had neither eyes nor understanding for tree or cloud, for book or picture, nor found beauty in any. No one saw that something cosmic and eternal flashed before her in that one swift glance of tardy recognition and knowledge. No one knew that she, the aristocrat, felt that keen pity for her day and generation, had learnt to feel it from him, through him. All of it, all of it, all her later life, no one knew it, save herself alone. And gradually, too, in those intimate conversations, they had come to know something of each other, had learnt, guessing first and then knowing, that they had found each other late in life, she him, he her, as though at last, at last, after that vague instinctive seeking and trying to find each other in their childhood days, heaven had been merciful. How vague it had been, that shadowy intuition, hardly to be uttered, and vanishing as soon as uttered. On his side, that distant veil of mist, that cloud on the horizon of the moors. On hers, that perpetual longing to go farther, to flit from boulder to boulder down the hurrying stream as it rushed past under the dense canopy of those tropical trees. A pair of children, knowing nothing of each other, and all unconscious until years later that they were both seeking both seeking. Oh, that strange dream quest, that nameless desire, which, when one breathed it, vanished, was no longer a quest. At a touch, it became intangible. As soon as one grasped it, it slipped away, became something different, something different. But, unbreathed, untouched, ungrasped, just dreamed, and dimly felt in those far-off childhood days, it was that, the mystic, wonderful reality, which was the only reality. To both of them in those days, it had been too gossamer frail, too intangible and too incomprehensible to last beyond their childhood, that seed of reality working in the womb of time. Vanity and frivolity had claimed her for their own, study and reflection had claimed him and each had wandered farther and farther from that half-divined other, no longer even seeking the other. The years had heaped themselves up between them, between her at The Hague, in Rome, in Brussels, and him in America, when she was an elegant young society woman, he the workman's friend and brother, their comrade who yearned to know and understand them. While she had danced and flirted in the ballrooms of Rome, he had laboured in the docks, gone down the black shafts of the coal mines, and all this which had really happened seemed unreal to her, a dream, a remote nightmare, by the side of that childish romance, those fairy visions of yesterday. And yet it had all happened, it had all happened, they had never been allowed to meet each other, not even when they had been brought near each other, on the Riviera, in Brussels as by an unconscious power. They had not been allowed to meet until now, late, very late, too late. Oh, is it ever given too late, that blessed boon, to live at last, 
to find at last. And they had both made mistakes. She had made her mistakes, her brief passion for Henry, the sudden kindling of the senses of a frivolous, bored and idle woman. Then the marriage, mistake upon mistake, nothing but waste, waste, waste of her precious life. And he had made mistakes too. He had dreamed of being the brother of those men, a fellow worker and comrade, and he had not become their brother. Oh, if they had once been allowed to know and find each other in the years when they were both young, what a harmony their life together might have been, no jarring note in themselves or in each other, but perfect harmony in all things, attuned to the note of their day and generation, he by her side to understand and love her and support her when the sadness of it all oppressed her. Oh, to have lived when still young, with him, in his heart, in his arms. And then, to have loved, to have understood, to have done, with him and for his sake, all that can still be done for one's day and generation by those who themselves are strong and radiant, in love and happiness and harmony. And it had not been so. The precious years, far from each other, had been wasted. By him, he had told her so. By her, oh, her vain, wasted years. No, fate had not willed it. And yet, now that at last, at last, the honest, simple, true life had kindled into flame, now that, after first thinking of others, of Henry, of Marianne, she had also thought of herself, also thought of him, could not an outward, physical life also be kindled, after that inward, spiritual life, far from everything and everybody around them, in another country and another world, a life in which she would be beside him, a life of harmony, which might be tinged with the melancholy of that late awakening, but would still be perfect harmony and perfect happiness. She lay back in her chair, her hands hanging limply beside her, as if she lacked the energy now to grasp the tempting illusion, afraid of losing it and afraid of seizing it, and then recognising it as an illusion. And the sultry air seemed to be pressing upon her softly and languorously, until she panted and her lips parted and her eyes closed only to open again, wider than before. And in that atmosphere of ecstasy, it appeared to her that the distant lightning streaks yonder, the noiseless flashes over the wide sea which she divined yonder, yonder, far away, were themselves the swift effulgence of her thoughts and illusions and regrets, a gleam and gone, a gleam and gone. When it gleamed, came the smiling hope that things could become and remain as she thought, when the lights faded, came doubt, yet not so deep, but that the night tempted and lured her. Hope again, think once more, dream again, it may be, it is not impossible, it is reality, pure, simple reality, it will mean the happiness of those two poor children, Henri and Marianne, it will be the happiness of you two, him and you, the woman whose life blossomed late. It is possible. Hope it again. Think. Dream it again. For what is impossibility when truth once stands revealed, however late? See, 
the truth stands revealed, the lightning flashes. Sometimes the whole sky is illumined at once, the low clouds drift along. Behind them, behind them lies the infinity of eternity, of everything that may happen. The room was quite dark. She herself alone remained a white blur in the window frame, and the night, the air, the lights were there outside, wide and eternal. And in the sweet languor of the late summer hour, of the sultry night, of her uncontrollable illusion and hopes, she felt as though she were uplifted by a flood of radiant ecstasy, by a winged joy that carried her with it towards the sea yonder, towards the bright rifts of the lightning flashes, towards the distance of futurity, eternity, and everything that might happen. And she let herself be borne along, and in that moment a certainty came over her, penetrated deep down in her, like a divinely implanted conviction, that it would be as she had dreamed and hoped and wished, that so it would happen, at long last, because life's chiefest grace was at length descending upon her. Yes, it would happen like that. She knew it. She saw it in the future. She saw herself living by his side, in his heart, in his arms, living for herself and him, living for each other in all things. She saw it shine out radiantly with each lightning flash, in the radiant shining of those future years. She saw them, those children of the past, with the dew upon them, smiling to each other as though they who, as boy and girl, had unconsciously sought each other, had grown into a young man and a maiden who had found each other after the mystery of the cloud-veil and of the distant river under the spreading leaves. And they now went on together, their paths ran up towards the glittering cities of the future, which reared their crystal domes under the revealing skies, while out from their riot of towers sunbeams flashed and struck a thousand colours from the crystal domes. A wind rose as though waking in the very bed of the slumbering night and leapt to the sky. A cool breath drifted straight out of the sultry, lowering clouds. A few drops pattered upon the leaves, and the wind carried the storm farther, carried the revelation with it. The lightning flashed, twice, thrice more, vanished, paled away. Not until it had travelled far, very far, would the wind let loose the clouds, would the night rain fall, so Constance thought, vaguely, and she sighed deeply, as of awaking out of her languor of ecstasy, now that the night, after that rising wind, was no longer so sultry and oppressive. She stood up, wearily, closed the window, saw a morning pallor already dawning through the trees, and she lay down and fell asleep. Yes, that was what would happen. It would be like that. She felt certain of it. That future would come. The paths ran to the crystal-domed city. She was going to it with him, with him. Yes, it would come, it would come. Tomorrow, yes, tomorrow. And while that hope still continued to transfigure her face, pale on the pillow in the dawning day, 
her eyes, blind from long gazing at the light, closed heavily, and she fell asleep, convinced, convinced. End of chapter 29